The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Last question, Mr. President. Um, it, every indication you're running for re-election, uh, you haven't announced yet. Democrats, though, as you, I'm sure you know, uh, are saying, we wonder about his age. You'd be 82, date of the next election, 86 if you're successful and elected and finish that term. Does it give you any concern? Watch me. <laughs> That's all I can say. I mean, you know, it goes from one extreme to the other. I, last night I was hit, well, I heard that people were saying, well, just watch Biden. My God, age is not an issue anymore. It, it's, look, I'm a great respecter of fate. I would be completely thoroughly honest with the American people if I thought there was any health problem, anything that would keep me from being able to do the job. And, uh, and so, uh, well, we'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I just, I think people have to just watch me. He's absolutely right. It does go from one extreme to the other, not so much the coverage, but his health. This interview that we played for you right there, he did that on Wednesday, the morning after his State of the Union address. And remember the State of the Union address, that was Dynamo Joe. Age is not a factor. He is full of energy and life. And then the next day, the crash, you get the real Joe Biden. They're putting out two different people for the public. It feels like every day they're just playing a game with the public. Welcome back to the Trumpet Daily. I'm Sam Livingston, your guest host for today's show. Mr. Fleury is traveling on an outreach with some of the college students. He'll be back on Monday. Any comments you have for the show, send those to td at thetrumpet.com. Visit our website to watch full episodes uh, at trumpetdaily.com. And you can call our toll-free number to request any of the literature, 1-866-930-3024. So that interview Biden gave there, that was on Wednesday. We did play a clip of it <clears throat> uh, yes, on yesterday's show. I just got around to watching uh, the full thing. And there's quite a few revealing tidbits in that uh, interview. Like you saw there, that was given with, uh, or that interview was done by PBS. Is the big, the big crash after that highly energetic speech, no momentum. It didn't seem like his drugs carried over into the next day. Here's another clip. These are just some more highlights from the speech. You can go ahead and play clip two. I made voluntarily, no one's had to threaten to do anything. Voluntarily opened every single aperture I have with the house, offices, everything for them to come and look and spend hours searching my home, invited them. Nobody, and so, and the best of my knowledge, the kinds of things they picked up are things that from 1974, and stray papers. There may be something else I don't know. Most Americans are of the view that uh, um, we've got this has gotten too mean. It's gotten too uh, too uh, 
personal, gotten too divisive. Anna today <clears throat> is saying uh, they feel smeared, that you smeared them and their leader in your remarks last night. Have relations now between the U.S. and China taken a big hit, no. frankly? No. How do you know? I know. I talked to him. You've talked to Xi Jinping? talked to Xi Jinping before, I, and our, our team talks to their people. During this and yeah, since? Yeah, after this. I haven't talked to him during this. Oh. What is happening? That The first part of that interview says he invited the FBI to search his home. That's not true. Then he says it was just papers from 1974 contradicting his own White House statement that said that the, a lot of the documents were from his time as vice president. Talks about most Americans being worried that politics is too mean. This is the guy who gave the, the blood red speech in Philadelphia, uh, attacking half of the Americans, labeling them MAGA terrorists. And then that whole segment about our relationship with China is fine, as if, what, what was that whole saga last week? Then he says, well, I talked to them, so I know that it's fine. <laughs> the interviewer there, what do you mean? You, you've talked to them since? Well, no, but I'm sure that it's fine. I mean, just he's got no clue what is going on there. <clears throat> Last summer, we did a program, a Trump a Daily program titled Without Medication, Joe Biden is Like a Small Child. And this was from uh, a leaker in the Biden White House that said they have personally witnessed Jill Biden giving Joe drugs before he speaks. I mean, we live in a fake world they present a fake president to you first of all a rigged election and then the man himself you, you don't even know what personality you're going to get each day i mean right along those lines i thought there's the headline last night about john fetterman having to be hospitalized they think he might have had uh sounds like it wasn't a stroke maybe a, a small heart attack but he he was sworn in i think just exactly a month ago and everybody knew he had that stroke, but they still made him run. And now he's got these health problems, and they, they just push this on the public. This is a clip that we played from that program on July 18th, 2022. This is Tucker talking about the, the drugs that they're giving to Joe Biden, clip three. This was clearly cognitive decline. This was dementia, obviously. So we drew a conclusion that now sounds ridiculous, but it seemed logical at the time, this guy can't be the Democratic nominee. He can barely speak. How did he manage to get through the campaign? Well, it turned out, we learned later, his staff, supervised by Dr. Jill, his wife, was giving him pills before every public appearance, checking the time and at a certain hour, giving him a dose of something. Now, it's not a guess. We're not making that up. We've spoken directly to someone who was there and saw it happen multiple times. Now, before taking the medication, this person said, Biden was, quote, like a small child. You could not communicate with him. He changed completely because he was on drugs, and he clearly still is on drugs. No one's pushing to know what those drugs are. We should know. But the point is, Joe Biden's dementia was perfectly obvious to everyone around him more than three years ago. Everybody knew, and they still pushed it. This is the most popular president, they tell us, in American history. Nielsen has its State of the Union TV ratings. It went back to 2017. Um, President Trump in the year 2017 had 48 million watch his first State of the Union. Usually you get 
the most viewers for their first year in office. By 2020, that had dwindled down to 37 million, but he was in the mid to upper 40 millions for each of those speeches. President Biden, he was missing in action 2021. Nobody knew when he was ever going to talk even to the press in just an interview, so there was no State of the Union. Last year, he gives one 38 million viewers, so that's the first one. That's supposed to be the big one, and he barely gets more than President Trump did on his last speech. And then earlier this week, 27.3 million viewers, according to Nielsen. That is the lowest audience in 30 years of the State of the Union. This is the man that got 81 million votes. Again, so much fakery. Everything is fake, just like this trumpet cover here. It says fake on the top. If you haven't subscribed to that, you can email us, td at thetrumpet.com. I thought following along these lines, there was a clip that had just <clears throat> resurfaced from a former Obama official named Richard Stengel. This is a quote from the Daily Caller. It says, Stengel, who served as Obama's Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs from 2014 to 2016, made the comments, I'll play the clip in just a minute, while moderating a panel hosted by the Council on Foreign Relations in 2018. The comments resurfaced in light of news that an office at the State Department, the Global Engagement Center, flag certain posts on Twitter as foreign disinformation, regardless of their accuracy. Now, this is the clip from 2018, clip four. You know, my old job at the State Department was what people used to joke as the chief propagandaist job. We haven't talked about propaganda. Propaganda, I'm not against propaganda. Every country does it, and they have to do it to their own population. And I don't necessarily think it's that awful. And this that, that's an Obama official. I'm not against propaganda. Every country does it. They have to do it to their own population, and I don't think it's that awful. So he works in the Obama administration. I think he used to be the chief editor for Time magazine. He also happens to be one of the co-founders of that website we've talked a lot about with the Twitter files called Hamilton 68, and that was the website that would say, oh, well, all of these people that want to read the Nunes memo, those are actually Russian bots. So he is actively working and, and admitted in that clip in 2018, propaganda is a good thing. We, we have to use it because the ends justify the means. So if we have to lie to fulfill our agenda, go ahead and do it. And they're openly out, they're out there just saying we lie. And nobody calls them out over it. Mr. Flurry in the May 2018 trumpet in his article titled Saving America from the Radical Left Temporarily, we are getting a hard look at just what the radical left is willing to do in order to seize power and stay in power. They have no respect for the rule of law. They believe they are above the law. It is no exaggeration to say that such contempt for the nation's founding principles is a threat to the republic. They have contempt for you. I mean, for a man to even get up there and say that it's one thing to, you know, just lie about it, but he's out there bragging. He's bragging that he can get away with lying to people and that he actually likes that that's policy. Mr. Flurry writes, most Republicans don't realize what they are dealing with. People who are absolutely committed to destroying the government of this land. Along those same lines, there's so much propaganda. You might have heard about the shooting in New Jersey or this Republican councilwoman last week was targeted, assassinated. She was sitting in her car and she was killed. 
I don't think they've even found who killed her. But then yesterday, another Republican uh, in New Jersey was also shot down. This is from the Washington Free Beacon. Milford Councilman Russell, Russell Heller, who also works as a supervisor at a utility company, was gunned down in a parking lot outside his office on Wednesday by a former employee. Last Wednesday, uh, Councilwoman Eunice Dwumfor was killed by an unidentified gunman outside her home in what police called a targeted attack. Heller's killer, uh, he killed himself. So you've got two Republicans, not huge names, mostly local in New Jersey, who are targeted and gunned down. You don't hear about that in the major media, but all you hear about is Democrats coming under fire. AOC talking about, what, what was the phrase she used? Stochastic terrorism? I'd never heard whatever that was before. Talking about how she's under attack, but then when it comes to actual Republicans, and we've listed off plenty of cases of this, there's no... There's nothing. The propaganda press cover all of that up. A world of lies. Well, yesterday there was also a, a Republican-led hearing on the weapon, weaponization of the FBI. I suspect we'll get a lot more uh, out of these hearings once they start subpoenaing some of the actual agents involved here. But this is a clip from a former FBI special agent named Nicole Parker. This is clip five. The FBI became politically weaponized starting from the top in Washington and trickling down to the field offices. Although FBI employees have their First Amendment rights, they are not at the liberty to allow their personal political views or preferences to determine their course of action or inaction in any investigation. Lady Justice must remain blind. Those that do not uphold these responsibilities cause a negative ripple effect throughout the agency in the field. It's as if there became two FBIs. Americans see this, and it is destroying the Bureau's credibility, causing Americans to lose faith in the agency, and therefore the hardworking and highly ethical agents who still do the heavy lifting and pursue noble cases. It makes it very difficult for agents to do their job when the FBI loses the respect of the American people. There has also been a shift in recruiting practices, a lowering of the eligibility requirements, which is negatively impacting the agency's performance. And all this adds up to a loss of trust in the FBI by many Americans and low morale among many FBI employees. So it comes from the top down, like she said there. And then the field offices take, take the memo from the top, and then they start going after regular Americans. There was a story yesterday talking about how one of these field offices issued a memo for their agents to start targeting one of these Catholic groups, and they didn't explain what at all they were doing. They've since uh, retracted that memo once news broke that they were looking at these religious groups. And then today you've got Jack Smith, the independent counsel. He's subpoenaed Mike Pence, and right now the FBI is searching his house. You have a politically motivated FBI. And like she said there, there are two, it's like there are two FBIs, and what that does is destroys people's trust in that institution. And that's what Obama, he wants to do that to everything in America. He wants to bring the government down. He wants to destroy people's trust in it. So he politicizes everything. We've heard uh, a little bit about this case of Mark uh, Hook. He was one of the protesters, well, not even a protester, really. He would just stand outside abortion clinics offering counsel to people as they went in. And in this case, there was one of the uh, abortion clinic employees or volunteers went and confronted him. It ended up where that, that employee was verbally assaulting him, and then Hook went and pushed him to the ground. So 
it should be this local matter. It really shouldn't go beyond the local police force. And it didn't get very far in any of the local courts. The, the abortion clinic volunteer, he didn't even show up in court. But then Merrick Garland's FBI finds out about this case and raids this man's home in front of his seven children, pulls him away, puts him in jail, and now he's got to fight this case against the Department of Justice prosecutors. I believe that happened last year, and then finally he was acquitted by a jury just last week. And then the video comes out showing that he wasn't even standing at the door of this clinic. He was standing over 100 feet away on a corner of it, and that abortion volunteer, the abortion clinic volunteer, confronted him, walked over to him. So there's no case here, but Merrick Garland and the DOJ want to make an example out of this man, and they go and raid his home as if he's a terrorist. This is a, a blog from Red State writing about this entire case. It says, what makes this situation all the worse, though, is that the punishment was the prosecution. So he has to pay out thousands of dollars. Who knows how much time he has to spend fighting this case. And it's something that, in normal times, the DOJ would never touch. This, this writer says, the punishment was the prosecution. He says, lawfare has become standard fare for the DOJ. And it's scary stuff, lawfare using the legal system to wage war on your political opponents. That's exactly what we are seeing in this land. Switching gear here, I wanted to talk a bit more about uh, vaccine. We're on to the fifth booster. I saw a video of that, that women's soccer player, uh, the girl with the pink hair, bragging about how happy she was going to get her fifth booster. I'll spare you playing the video uh, clip of that, but she's very excited, very proud to get that fifth booster. But there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of people who were real big vaccine enthusiasts who are now coming out and talking about how they're done with it. They're, they don't want to be bothered with it. This is a clip. This aired on an Australian news network. This is News 9. We've played clips from them before, and they're all in on the vaccine. I remember they're all in on the lockdowns. This is from a host. His name is Carl Stefanovich, and he's talking to a doctor, and, the, and he just says, look, I was all for the two jabs. I'm done with it now. I've got my COVID. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And listen to this exchange that somehow is allowed to air on News 9 in Australia, clip six. Another jab, is it necessary? Well, Carl, the, the, the language is really important from Atagi here. They've said that adults are eligible for a fifth dose. Note that they haven't recommended the fifth dose, and that's really important. As you know, I'm not a glowing ambassador for more than two shots. I've just decided that I've had COVID a couple of times and I'm done with the vaccines. Um, there, there's a big chunk of Australia um, that, that is done with it, and, and there's a, 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 another chunk um, that is happy to have keep having them. If you get a fifth dose, your protection against severe disease is enhanced for around about eight to 12 weeks and then it returns to what it was after the fourth dose or the third dose. So it's very transient protection, Carl. It's not increased protection for life. The other thing that I'm concerned about is um, that if I have another um, dose, 
um, that I may get complications. Um, I've, I've seen all this, um, all these reports on the internet about fit and healthy people just dropping down with heart issues, uh, and it's still not obviously established yet whether or not the vaccine caused some of these heart issues. But that's a worry for me more so than getting COVID. Well, with with respect to your age, Carl, I, I think the real worry for myocarditis and pericarditis is adolescent boys, and that's why Atagi's come out and said no more booster doses for people under the age of 18. So they are taking into account those complications. I can't believe that host got away with saying what he said and the, and the cameraman or the board operator, operator didn't just switch off there. I thought even what that doctor was saying, you're eligible for the fifth jab. It's not recommended. It only provides protection for eight to 12 weeks and then it wears off and you go back to square one. So is that worth the risk? Two months of protection, if that even exists, if that's even there, and you risk potentially getting a lifelong heart disease. I mean, the admission there about myocarditis affecting young adolescent boys. All right, well, if it's there and they didn't see that in the clinical trials, who's to say what will happen in two or three years from now? What will happen to uh, regular aged adults? We already see the heart attacks there. As that host said, I see video clips of people, healthy athletes, just dropping dead suddenly. I mean, if we're at that point where they can talk like that now, I mean, we, it seems like we're just months away from even uh, these, these uh, government regulators coming out and saying, no more jabs, because they're losing the propagandists in the media. They're not fighting for them anymore. A lot of them are. There are a few that are very, very devoted to the cause. We played that clip of that MSNBC host who said she had myocarditis, was hospitalized, and then gets done and says, it was all the flu. The flu did this to me. That Daily Mail piece that was writing about this clip from Nine News, they they introduce the clip, and then the rest of the article is talking about all of the vaccine protocols and recommendations for when you should get your jab. I mean, nothing about the harmful side effects, no stats on what it's doing to people. I mean, they're just so dutiful in their, their obedience to the experts and the jab. Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, he tweeted this on January 21st. I had major side effects from my second booster shot. Felt like I was dying for several days. Hopefully no permanent damage, but I don't know. How could they force this on people? There's so much propaganda out there. Like I've said at the beginning, so much of this world is fake, and it's causing real-world harm. This is a clip from Tony Fauci in 1999, and he's talking about how they didn't come up with a vaccine for AIDS and HIV. It was too dangerous to test on people. It was too hard to figure out what the long-term side effects would be. This is a clip from 1999, clip seven. Many scientists are beginning to believe that a vaccine against AIDS may be impossible to make and too dangerous to test. If you take it and then a year goes by and everybody's fine, then you say, okay, that's good. Now let's give it to uh, 500 people. And then a year goes by and everything's fine. You say, well, then now let's give it to thousands of people. And then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose. And then what have you done? 
he really is his own worst enemy. I mean, you could have a debate with the Fauci pre-2019 and the Fauci post-2019 and just ask him to defend what he has said in the past. How could you possibly run clinical trials for, for 12 years? And there is no vaccine for those things. As he says there, it's too risky. But then when it comes to pushing a vaccine, what is it, four, five billion people have taken it, no need for the studies there. I've got quite a bit more to talk about on this topic, including, I mean, Fauci's no longer in office. He stepped down uh, before the Republicans took over in Congress. He wanted, I guess, to avoid being in office for all of that. But now he's publishing some papers that are pretty revealing about what he knew before he started pushing the COVID vaccine on people. We'll go ahead and take a break. If you have any comments or emails for the show, you can send those again. TD at the trumpet.com. Request any of our literature by phone, 866-930-3024. We'll be right back. This is KPCGFM, and this is the Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience, and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime, violence, injustice, sickness, and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth, and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. This headline from Just the News is Fauci paper suggests Fed's new COVID vaccines were doomed from the start. Early on in the whole COVID epidemic, there was a lot of fear because they had never created a vaccine for a coronavirus. We, there was the SARS outbreak in China in the early 2000s. There was Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, another coronavirus, uh, I think in the mid-2000s. So they've been working on a vaccine for a coronavirus for decades, and one had never been developed. And then suddenly, within months of COVID-19, they have created a vaccine that they, they did not have or apparently didn't have the ability to create earlier on. It was so shocking. I remember even uh, the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla, 
there's a clip from him where he was saying, are you sure that's the technology we're going to go with? We haven't ever developed an mRNA vaccine before, and this is an urgent crisis. And how is this already done? But anyway, rush some clinical trials, experiment on some pregnant rats, and presto, we've got a vaccine ready to go for human trials. And we're going to have a couple billion people participate in these human trials. Now, Fauci is no longer in office. He's published a paper talking about how influenza vaccines and even the coronavirus vaccines do not stop the transmission or, or, or stop infection. This is from Just the News. Anthony Fauci knows why COVID-19 vaccines have been so unreliable at halting infection and transmission beyond a few months. He waited until he stepped down as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease to publicly explain it. Now, this is obviously a scientific journal. Fauci is trying to um, express something that really is groundbreaking, but uses a lot of sciency language. This is just the news. It says SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 is among viruses that replicate in the human respiratory mucosa without infecting systemically, along with influenza A, RSV, and common colds, and have not to date been effectively controlled by licensed or experimental vaccines. That's a quote from Fauci's paper. Have not to date been effectively controlled by licensed or experimental vaccines, an admission that the jab does not work. They talk about how the flu vaccine, it's just, that's a hit or miss and basically (laughs) amounts to being a placebo. One other expert says, after three years, he just announces this obvious point. And it was something that, I mean, I don't know all of the scientific details here, but it's a, it's a, those respiratory diseases are hard because they live on that exterior membrane. And so you're trying to get a vaccine to it, but you need the vaccine to get into the blood system to get to it. But obviously they said that's not what it's doing. It's anyway, I'm not going to get into all of that. They knew beforehand that this was a big experiment, a big risk. Alex Berenson says several rigorous papers have proven that flu shots are placebos masquerading as public policy. But the same scientists then compared our beloved and groundbreaking COVID vaccines to those pointless flu jabs. As variant SARS or as variant COVID-19 strains have emerged, deficiencies in these COVID vaccines reminiscent reminiscent of influenza vaccines have become apparent. And he says, just who are these vicious anti-vax rebels? Three researchers at the National Institute for Health, including one whose name may ring a bell, the now retired Dr. Anthony S. Fauci. He says, at its core, the piece or this paper raises the question of whether any vaccines can ever work well enough to matter against bugs like common coronaviruses influenza, and RSV. And that question hides an even more troubling one, one the authors do not ask. Have our efforts to beat COVID-19 by driving our immune response in ways it was not designed to go caused dangers we are only beginning to understand? Quite a few outlets now are reporting on heart attacks among young people. (laughs) You couldn't say that a few months ago. You couldn't talk about young people having heart attacks. Here it is in NBC just yesterday. 
Young people are more likely to die of heart attacks post-COVID study finds. But why? And this talks about a, a September 2022 study of patients after they had COVID monitoring their hearts, following up on their health. It says the age group hit hardest, people between 25 and 44 who saw a 30% relative increase in heart attack deaths over the first two years of the pandemic. Young people are obviously not really supposed to die of heart attack. They're not really supposed to have heart attacks at all, says Dr. Susan Chang, a cardiologist at, at the hospital where this study took place. She says Chang called the connection to COVID spikes more than coincidental, that is for sure, explaining why she pointed out that COVID-19 can greatly impact the cardiovascular system. And this is just stunning, just like the Daily Mail. You can't even consider the vaccine playing a role here. She says COVID-19 appears to be able to increase the stickiness of the blood and increase the likelihood of blood clot formation. Now, that other doctor in the clip we played in the first half says... The vaccine is known to cause myocarditis in young adolescent boys. What is happening there? Blood clots. Why is this? How can that possibly happen with the vaccine? And then for these experts to not even bring that up or mention it at all as a possible cause for these heart attacks. It's not anywhere in this article. And I think that's really amazing. When you consider where we were in 2021, I was talking to another colleague here and Remember all of the, you need to wear the, you have to carry that vaccine card so we can see your vaccine status. And you're killing people if you don't have the vaccine. Where is that now? Because I would like to see that when one of those athletes drops dead on a field, I would like to see that armband that says his vaccination status. No, no. You, that's, pro, that's medical information. HIPAA laws pro- prohibit you from knowing if that person was vaccinated. What a turn in 18 months, if, if even that. I would like to know their vaccine status. Did they do that in this study? Or is COVID the only thing that could possibly hurt a human being? NBC, the reason for the relative rise in young people in particular is unclear. But one theory, Chang said, is that the virus's impact on the cardiovascular system may be Uh, Well, because people are younger, they have more of an immune response. So apparently that now causes you to have a heart attack. For COVID-19 survivors, the risk of developing a heart condition even a year after the infection, regardless of how severe the initial symptoms were, is substantial, according to that February 22 study. So they just dance around the vaccine. Not even a, a consideration that that might be causing it there. Again, how can you trust a system like that? How can you uh, just live in this world and think, that's where I want my hope and my trust to be, in those experts? I mean, any commoner that doesn't have their PhD can just ask that question. Well, you, you studied the people that had COVID. Well, what about the people that got COVID and a vaccine? Was that done in your study? Oh, well, no, it's, it's just complicated in all this coded language. And the study now on COVID is done, so we're going to use that. When is the, when's the vaccine study going to happen? 10, 15 do- years down the road? Like Fauci said, how do we know where we're going to be at that time? I mean, 
where we are right now is definitely not what they said would happen when it came out at the end of 2020. The vaccine not working at all, not stopping infection. They were wrong weeks after it came out. How wrong are they going to be a decade from now? We've heard a bit recently in some messages, and Mr. Fleury even mentioned it in the Trumpet Daily a couple of days ago, about how many headlines there are that are just difficult to read, or they're so gross you don't even want to click on. I see so much of that in researching the news, just disgusting articles where I don't even, I, I don't have the stomach to click on those things. I don't want to read more about it. There's so much perversion in this world, so many disgusting things. And it is easy to just keep turning your head away from the filth and the sin in this world. But like Mr. Florio is saying, occasionally click on that article and read about what is happening in your country, what is happening in the United States of America. I wanted to bring that up because there is an article that's circulating quite a bit on social media right now where I had the same reaction. I didn't want to click on this article. It's, it's a topic I just, it's so abhorrent. It makes me sick to my stomach thinking about. It's about this children's transgender clinic. And just a caveat there, I don't even like using the word transgender because it, it, it the more you use that, the more people are going to start to think that's actually a thing. You can't actually be transgender. So I, obviously I'm going to use that word because that is what people know it by, but there is no such thing as transgender. But this article is from a whistleblower who worked in one of these clinics, and she's published an article titled, I Thought I Was Saving Transgender Kids, Now I Am Blowing the Whistle. And I thought, as I was reading this, what a revealing and horrifying article in so many ways. In a physical sense, these experts, these doctors, are the ones that people trust. They go to them for guidance. They go to them for help in living, essentially. And these doctors, these experts, are betraying their patients. They're betraying the people they're meant to take care of. In the Ezekiel booklet, Mr. Fleury writes, this is a book he wrote called Ezekiel, the End-Time Prophet, and he talks about Ezekiel 8 and God giving the prophet this vision, and there's this hole in the wall, and, and Ezekiel has to dig through it, and he, as he digs through it, it's into the inner court of the temple, and you see all this rot and this perversion behind there. Now, obviously, that is talking about God's church. It's a spiritual um, analogy there, or a spiritual example there. But Mr. Fleury writes about looking through there, and you, you don't see it on the surface, but then you look through that hole, and you start to see what's going on on the inside, and it's a lot the same way with, or, or with many of these institutions that are supposed to be so reputable. You know, we're supposed to be able to trust them. You see these huge medical complexes, beautiful buildings, and then what's happening inside? In that physical sense, we are getting to look through that hole, that hole in the wall, quite a bit these days, looking at that hole in the wall for physical Israel. This article, again, 
is by a woman named Jamie Reed, and she is no conservative. She is far, far left. But she worked in this clinic thinking that she could help kids, and she worked there for four years. And after that, she needed to get out because what she saw there was so appalling to her. She says, in 2018, she was a case manager at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital, which had been established a year earlier. The center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. And that's not based on anything. That's just an assumption that these doctors, these experts run with, these experts who are supposed to take care of children, who are supposed to act in their best interests, and it's not always the case. They're not always right. But that is a, a, a position where people are supposed to be able to rely on, okay, they're giving me the best advice based on what they know. Reed says, during the four years I worked at the clinic as a case manager, I was responsible for patient intake and oversight. Around 1,000 distressed young people came through the doors. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. I won't, if you're a parent or an adult, I would encourage you to read this article on your own. Uh, it is graphic. It's disgusting what's happening to these kids. But these are untested drugs, untested procedures being done on children. Reed says, I left the clinic in November last year because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. She says, I was certain that the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. She talks about how there are no protocols, virtually no protocols, before a child can be put on hormone therapy. As long as you have one parent consenting and you go through one therapy session, they'll start writing you prescriptions for puberty blockers and hormone therapy. She talks about how clusters of, and it's 75% of the patients here are girls. And she talks about how it, from a, as, a, as an expert's perspective, it felt like this was more of a fad because she would have girls that would come in there and they'd all be from the same school and the same friend group and then all say that they you know, weren't comfortable with their bodies. So she could obviously discern, okay, that's, that's a fad. Let's not treat them. But these doctors at the, head of, at the top of this clinic would start putting them on puberty blockers and hormone therapy. She says, girls who came to us had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity, Many were diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. And then she talks about how many of these girls do have autism, and that, that should be treated differently when they're saying things like they want to be a boy when they're a girl. She says, frequently our patients declared they had disorders that no one believed they had. We had patients who said they had Tourette syndrome, but they didn't that they had tick disorders, but they didn't, that they had multiple personalities, but they didn't. She says the doctors privately recognized these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion. They even acknowledged that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when I said the clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues 
might be a manifestation of social contagion. The doctor said gender identity reflected something innate. So they would start treating them. Even though these girls were clearly confused about all these other conditions they thought they had. She says, to begin transitioning, the girls needed a letter of support from a therapist, usually one we recommended and had a pre-written note for approval. So they had to see only once or twice before being given the green light to receive hormone therapy. She says, after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are simply not capable of fully grasping what it means to make the decision to become infertile while still a minor. You think... It's such an obvious thing. She talks about how they would prescribe certain drugs. Now, these drugs were created to be used for other purposes, but the side effects of these drugs would be that they cause uh, hormonal imbalances. So one of these drugs called uh, bicalaudamide was designed to treat pancreatic cancer. Now, one of the side effects was that it would cause a hormone imbalance that would cause the development of breasts. So they started using this drug that was meant to be used on pancreas or, or cancer patients because the side effect was that it would help develop uh, breasts on these boys. And a side effect of that drug, another one, is that it causes your liver to shut down. And this was happening to young boys. And there's this one exchange where these parents are threatening to sue, and they don't follow through on it. I don't know all of the details here, but it's, it's jarring what would happen here. Reed says, besides teenage girls, another new group was referred to us. Young people from the inpatient psychiatric unit or the emergency department of St. Louis Children's Hospital. The mental health of these kids was deeply concerning. There were diagnoses, diagnoses of schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar disorder, and more. Often they were already on a fistful of pharmaceuticals. This was tragic, but unsurprising given the profound trauma some had been through. Yet no matter how much suffering or pain a child had endured, or how little treatment and love they had received, our doctors viewed gender transition, even with all the expense and hardship it entailed, as the solution. Some weeks it felt as though almost our entire caseload was nothing but disturbed young people. So they're preying on mentally ill children, drugging them up, sterilizing them, She says, being put on powerful doses of testosterone or estrogen, even enough to try to trick your body into mimicking the opposite sex, affects the rest of the body. I doubt that any parent who's ever consented to give their kid testosterone, which is a lifelong treatment, by the way, because your body doesn't naturally produce it, you are stuck on that prescription for the rest of your life, knows that they're only possibly, knows that they're also possibly signing their kid up for blood pressure medication, cholesterol medication, and perhaps sleep apnea and diabetes. In 2017, the Trumpet published an article by Mr. Leap titled, Encouraging Gender Fluidity is Child Abuse. Read that if you have time. Encouraging Gender Fluidity is Child Abuse. She talks about how there are so many cases where these doctors will get involved in custody hearings where one parent 
wants their child or is pushing their child to get these procedures done and the other isn't, these doctors will show up in court and they'll side always with the parent that wants their kid to get these procedures. And in most cases, the judges will side with the experts. This whistleblower says that she has created a whole list and she's handed it over to the attorney general in Missouri who just announced yesterday that they have opened an investigation into what's happening here. Reed says, in the past 15 years, according to Reuters, the U.S. has gone from having no pediatric gender clinics to more than 100. A thorough analysis should be undertaken to find out what has been done to their patients and why and what the long-term consequences are. They say that they have no follow-up procedure. They don't keep track of these patients after they leave the clinic because they don't want to know what's happening. There's a paragraph, a pretty long section in there, talking about how she saw kids that were not suicidal become suicidal after receiving that treatment. Again, all of this should be so obvious, but this is what's happening in these clinics, in these big buildings in most major cities in the United States. And reading about this, I mean, these are people who are supposed to be helping and protecting children. And there are a few people who are very, very upset about this. Matt Walsh at The Daily Wire made that documentary, What is a Woman? There are people upset, but why are, where, is, where are the protests? Where's the outrage over what's going on in these clinics? Children being mutilated and sterilized. Reed says many people compare what's happening in these clinics to an experiment. She says, experiments are supposed to be carefully designed. Hypotheses are supposed to be tested ethically. The doctors I worked alongside at Transgender Center said frequently about the treatment of our patients, we are building the plane while we are flying it. Reed says, no one should be a passenger of that kind of craft. And the attorney general in Missouri announced that they were investigating this. And on that list, he published, I would say, two to three times more details than Reed provided in that article about what is happening at these clinics. How many children are being abused by these demented and perverted doctors? I just want to quickly conclude with a few minutes we have remaining, talking about how serious these events are. Where... How can you salvage a nation like this, where probably 50%, maybe more than 50%, believe that that sort of activity is right, and they call that progress, and then the ones who don't agree with it, where are they? There are a few who stand up to it, but for the most part, this country tolerates horrendous and evil sins. Minds are being destroyed. Lives are being destroyed. God sees all of this sin. He sees every ugly part of it, and he is passionate and emotional in his response to it. In the Ezekiel booklet, Ezekiel the End Time Prophet, there's a subheading there. Mr. Flurry uh, writes, it's called Sigh and Cry, and this is about Ezekiel 9 and verse 4. Mr. Flurry writes, First of all, God's loyal people are emotionally moaning over what the sinning ministers have done to God's own church. They are also deeply disturbed by what is happening in the nations of Israel, which include most of the English-speaking democracies of the world. He says later on, 
These are the kinds of strong emotions, and he translates you know, the original meaning of those words sigh and cry, and it is a groan. It's a loud moan. It's very emotional. It says, these are the kinds of strong emotions in God's people who sigh and cry because of the abominations committed in God's church, first of all, and secondarily in the nations of Israel. Sigh and cry for what is happening in this world. Mr. Fleury has quoted quite a bit from the How to Pray booklet. And as I was reading that article about that whistleblower, I mean, just every time it's thy kingdom come. This, you cannot salvage this world. We need the return of Jesus Christ to set up a new world. You can't save any of this. You have to start over with God's government. Mr. Fleury's been quoting from the How to Pray booklet quite a bit. It says in here, to better understand the need for God's kingdom to be established, God tells us to watch and then to pray. If we watch world events and see the suffering wrapped up in just about every headline, it will help us pray with much greater urgency. Our planet is plagued by appalling evils that in many cases originate in or at least are tolerated by corrupt or impotent governments of men. Misguided religious zeal is also responsible for a great deal of human suffering. It would be appropriate in this section of your prayer to rehearse with God why the world desperately needs his kingdom and Christ's righteous rule. Pray fervently that the tremendous meaning of thy kingdom come may soon be a reality. Pray that every day. Pray that as you watch world events, as you click on those headlines that normally you'd probably just want to scroll through. Think of the suffering happening. And in that case, I mean, that story is extra troubling because it's children. It's children being abused by the people who are supposed to be protecting by their parents in most of those cases. Pray thy kingdom come. Read those headlines. Have an emotional response. Be passionate about what's happening in this world and help that to motivate your prayers. Request that booklet, Ezekiel, the End Time Prophet by Mr. Fleury, and also request how to pray. You can call our number, 1-866-930-3024, to request that literature. Again, 1-866-930-3024. And if you have any comments for the show, you can send those to td at thetrumpet.com. Like I said, Mr. Fleury will be back with you on Monday. Again, any comments for the show, td at thetrumpet.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you Monday.